You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. If you would grab your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 1. I'm getting some feedback here. Genesis chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, just slide your hand up. We'll bring one to you. We want you to be in God's Word at all times so that you're checking what I'm teaching against what he has, what he has revealed already in the Scriptures. And so you can turn to Genesis chapter 2 here this morning. Genesis chapter 2, that's page 2 in my Bible. Well, after six days of being apart in the larger fellowship of the church here at Redemption... How good is it, how awesome is it to be gathering yet again as we worship our God, our Creator, our Savior together as the Lord's people in the Lord's house on the Lord's day, this Sunday. You know, friends, when I was a kid, I never really understood the significance of Sunday, the joy of Sunday, the joy of going to church and worshiping God. <clears throat> yes, I went to church, but it always wasn't, wasn't always a joy to get up early and go to church. Now, as a kid, I remember getting up early for Sunday school, having to put on uncomfortable clothes, piling into the car, only to drive past our neighbors' homes and those neighbors that I knew were sleeping in or just kind of leisurely waking up those who were already kind of enjoying just another day of the weekend with no school and no work, another day to do something fun or to get something done. And I remember being just a little bit jealous and maybe, maybe at times a lot jealous. Here I am in the car wearing an itchy sweater, going to sing some old songs and listen to some boring sermon while the world truly just gets another day, a a second day every weekend to rest and relax and rejuvenate. Now, as I've grown older and older in the Lord, I've been transformed in this desire for Sunday morning for sure. Uh, Sunday has become an absolute delight. But maybe for you here this morning, maybe as you drove by your neighbor's homes, by those uh, cars maybe this morning, all geared up heading to the mountains, Maybe there was a little bit of envy going on, right? Here it is, another Sunday, and I could have and should have got more sleep. I could use more rest. I could have used this time to get more things done, right? To take dominion over my yard, like we were talking about last week, right? I wish I was going to the mountains today, or, or I was doing some sport activity, but yet here I am again, heading to church on Sunday, every Sunday, Now, maybe that is you at times. To which we need to ask the question, what is Sunday all about? Why is Sunday so special? Why is it so important? Why is it so significant? Do we really need a day of rest and worship? Isn't that Old Testament stuff? What does it mean to have a Sabbath? What does it mean that God rested on the seventh day? And what does that mean for us? Well, friends, as we continue to dive deep into the book of Genesis, this is our foundational beginnings as believers in the only God of this universe, as God finished it all in six days, and as he looks back and says it is very good, he specifically and intentionally and uniquely had one more day to mention in his self-revelation here in the book of Genesis. And friends, it's a day of such divine significance. It was full of divine significance then, and it's got so much divine significance now. So starting in chapter two, looking at verses one to three, we read this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, 
God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. Our Father, we gather here covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, filled by your Spirit. We come to worship you here this morning. As we come in through the doors of this building and we gather together as this collection, this royal priesthood, this gathering of the saints, we pray that we would arrive here with confessing hearts, repenting hearts, humble hearts, those who are willing and ready to receive what you have for us. And I pray, starting with me, that my heart would be receptive, that our congregation would be willing to hear, that you would give them ears to hear and eyes to see your glory this morning, hearts to receive as we study the foundational beginnings of who we are and what this universe is all about, mostly who you are. We pray that you would continue to transform us into your image here this morning. And as we look at this seventh day, help us to be receptive and to understand, illuminate the text for us to know exactly what you have for us as your Christians, as your people, as your family, as you speak to us. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. The seventh day, a day of such divine significance. Divine significance then, and divine significance now. And friends, as we study this and apply this today, we're going to see why it is so significant that in God's infinite wisdom for mankind, we're going to see practical significance, we're going to see spiritual significance, and we're going to see eternal significance. And so first, as we're looking at this, we're going to look at just the practical significance of having a seventh day of rest, resting on the seventh day. And so the first thing we see is as he rested from it, so we rest from it as well. There's practical significance for us here in this seventh day of rest. So remember, all the eternal wisdom and knowledge of God as he created. Remember that in the beginning, all there is him, all there is is him and nothing else. And as everything and anything that you and I see now in all the universe was created in just six days of such omnipotent, endless, tireless power and glory and goodness As chapter one began with the words, in the beginning, God created the heavens in the earth. Chapter two here, the first three verses really bookends chapter one. In fact, the first verse should have been in chapter one. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. That's that's the bookends of God's revelation here of creation. All of it is finished completed from the earth with its sky and seas and dry land and then the vegetation and the universe above with the sun and the moon and the billions of stars and galaxies to the living fish and birds and animals and then that pinnacle of creation as he creates mankind in his image, all of it has come together perfectly according to God's will and power Just picture the very start of Genesis. We see God by his spirit hovering over what he's about to create so willingly and and, and readily. And then we see here in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, is God standing back, resting, and he's taking it all in. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made. That's from chapter 1. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And then verse 1 of chapter 2 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were, take note, finished, all, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from what? From all his work that he had done, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because 
on it, God rested again all from all his work that he had done in creation. There's a lot of repetition going on here. So friends, according to the word of God here, said so repetitiously for the purpose of significance, when it comes to the work of creating it all, what does Genesis 2 so clearly say about more work, any more creating by God here on day 7? What does it say here four times? It says that creation was finished. God finished his work that he had done. And then twice here it also says God rested. God rested from what? God rested from all his work that he had done. And then again in verse 3, we see again, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. When you see the scripture repeating things, you got to pay attention because it's telling us something very, very significant, very important for us to understand. And so we see so emphatically here that the work is done. Creation is finished. And therefore, thus God rested on the seventh day. Again, from all the work that he had done in creation. And so the question naturally arises, why is God resting? Did he have to rest? Was God tired? Was he just so exhausted from it all? I mean, just think about it. In six days, six days, he created the whole universe I mean, most of us get tired just looking at the laundry hamper, right? Or our overgrown lawn. Like, like God must be tired. But let me ask you, was he tired? Was he exhausted? Is this resting here of God about being tired? Well, as, as Scripture interprets Scripture, we know that God does not get tired. Just ask the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 40, verse 28 the prophet writes, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Or just ask the psalmist in Psalm 147, verses 4 to 5. It says about God, he determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Or Psalm 121, right? He is a God that never slumbers nor sleeps. Friends, in light of God's omnipotent creative power, the scriptures will reassure us that he is all-powerful. God does not grow tired. So what is happening here with him resting? If he does not grow faint or weary, why does he say twice that he rested from all the work that he had done? Well, friends, the straightforward answer to that is the repetition here of the relationship between the word finished and the word work. Two times we see the word finished and three times we see the word work. Finished, kalach in the Hebrew, means to complete. It means to come to an end. The work is done. And then the word work, lacha, means skilled craftsmanship. Right? This, this, this word for work here in the Hebrew uh, does not mean unskilled labor. No, there, there's another word for that in the Hebrew language. This word particularly means skilled craftsmanship. This is the work of, of an artisan. This is artisanship kind of work. As God's total craftsmanship and artisanship in creating the earth was now complete, he rested. He rested because the masterpiece was done. He rested because there was no more work to be done. Creation work. It was finished, right? As, as back in, in chapter 1, verse 31 says, God said it was very good. Right? Like a craftsman does when he finishes a masterpiece, what do you do? You put the tools down. You put the paintbrush down. And you stand back 
and you, you look at that final masterpiece. You look at it and you take it all in. Right after you've pounded that final nail or you've, you've painted that final paint stroke, you stand back and you marvel at it. You marvel at the finished beauty that it has now become. It's like our, our friend here, Jody, when he, when he finishes a new kitchen for someone and everything's just right and perfect, right? He stands back, he takes it in, he marvels at the finished product, right? As some of you know, I, I kind of grew up as, as an artist and when I, when I would finish a drawing or a painting in my life, you get to a point in the painting when you have to stop. Because why? Because it's done. It's just right. And then you have to stand back and you have to appreciate it. You might even, as you're walking by the hallway, kind of peek in the room and take another look, right? It's, it's looking pretty good. Friends, that's why God is resting here. He's not resting in a sense of weariness, but it's a sense of completion. In fact, the word rest here in the Hebrew, Shabbat, again, the root word of Sabbath, means less about resting in, in how we would normally think about resting, like being exhausted. No, the word rest here in the Hebrew really speaks more of ceasing. It, it, it speaks of stopping because there's no more work left to be done. Therefore, because of that, God makes a whole day of it. He makes a day of rest. He makes a whole day, the seventh day, to marvel at his creation. And friends, this has some awesome implications for, for God's people. Because as he finished it, and as he stops to take it all in, he is going to call his people to do the same thing. And again, like I said, there is some very practical significance for us here. Right? There's practical, spiritual, and eternal significance. We're going to start with the practical. So as again, as the context of this book, remember, who are the first hearers of this book, of this book of Genesis? Right? It's the Israelites who are in the wilderness with Moses. They're just freed from slavery in Egypt. And these people were used to hard work. Right? They were slaves. They were used to ongoing, relentless demand to work hard, to work around the clock and throughout the week, even as Pharaoh would make it harder for them and harder for them just before their, their exodus out of there. And so now as these people are hearing this book of Genesis through Moses, they are heading towards the promised land. And as much as they... Uh, enter that land, this land flowing with milk and honey, and even though they were going to have to take dominion over it, as we talked about last week, as hard as the work is going to be to go over there and till the land and raise the livestock and build the cities and then build the temple, God is setting for them a pattern of rest that he did from the very beginning. And as we're going to apply here first, we start with a very practical aspect here, practical significance, which is this. As God rested from it, we also are to rest from it. As it took God six days to create the whole universe, as his image bears, we too are to finish our work in six days and rest. As he stops his work and as he stands back and takes in the glory of what he has done, friends, we are to stop our work. And we should be standing back and marveling and giving God the glory for what he has done and what he is doing to take the time to take a day and to take it all in. So friends, very practically speaking here, what we see God doing in this seventh day of resting is, is more about what he's patterning for us than his need of rest. In fact, as these first hearers of these writings were also receiving direct commands, right, from God through Moses, there's going to be laws about this seventh day. There's going to be laws about the seventh day of rest. Even though God needed no rest, he knew that his people are going to need rest, and so he mandates it. In Exodus 23, 12, Moses writes, six days you shall do your work, 
But on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. May be refreshed. Very practical. Exodus 31, 16 to 17. Therefore the people of Israel (coughs) shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Right? Not again that God was weary, but that his creation creates such a very pleasing, good, very good response as he takes it all in. And friends, it's, it's the kind of refreshment and renewal that all of us need. It's the kind of refreshment and renewal that you cannot experience by just keeping going, not stopping. You just don't rest because God rested. We must rest in the fact that God designed it that way for us. Jesus said in Mark 2.27, he said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was given to man. Deuteronomy 5.14, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. So you see this The Sabbath, the seventh day, is given for man, but it's given to man for the Lord, right? That we may rest. How? To the Lord. And friends, again, this is is also just, just very extremely practical for us, that even though you and I were created in the image and likeness of God, we are not God. As he does not grow tired and weary, friends, we grow tired and weary. Some of you are experiencing that this morning. We need rest. We need to intentionally set aside, as God did, a day of rest. And the Old Covenant would refer to that as the Sabbath, the seventh day. To stop what we're doing in order to get our eyes on God's rest-inducing glory. That a day without labor is good for us. It's a renewal for our physical bodies. It's refreshing for us to marvel at the glory of God, to get our eyes off of our work, and to get our eyes on the Lord. Now again, very practically here, you know, when I was a kid, and, and I'm not that old, when I was a kid in the 80s, right, not so long ago, in my hometown, there was no shopping on Sundays. The only stores open on Sundays were corner stores or gas stations. In fact, in Canada, up until the 80s, there was what was called the Lord's Day Act. And this has been around since the 1700s. And it deemed it illegal for most stores to be open on Sundays. But as we look into our society today, it's just so normal and so expected that everything is open on Sundays, that we make it a regular occasion to work on Sundays, to do the projects that need to get done, to do the shopping that needs to get done, to get caught up in all the things that we've not yet done, the stuff that we believe we couldn't have gotten done in the first six days, or for some of us, just five days. Friends, as the Sabbath was created for man and not man for the Sabbath, as the Old Testament law of observing Sabbath was even punishable by death, we do now know in the New Covenant that we have been set free from the law, right, through Christ, who has fulfilled the law, but we still have to understand that to take a day as God took a day is good for us. He didn't need it, but, but we do. In fact, he did it for us. 
He intentionally inscribes it even with his finger on a tablet for Moses because in his infinite wisdom, he knew that we needed it. Now, not that we're wanting to be legalistic here for sure. Again, yes, we have the freedom in Christ. Those who are set free in Christ, we're singing about that this morning. Even the early church, though, they, they ceased with this law of, of seventh-day Sabbath, right? And they began meeting on the first day of the week. Why? The day that Christ rose from the grave. This day of resurrection that's evidenced in Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 6, 2, even Revelation 1, 10, talking about the Lord's day. That even though the law was fulfilled, there is good principle of having a Sabbath's rest. Very practical significance in God's mercy towards you and me. That although the day of rest has now shifted in the new covenant to Sundays, or even another day for that matter, friends, rest is still good for us. Rest is still needed for healthy image bearing. That means that we, we stop from the work in order to be refreshed in order to be renewed in the glory of God. And friends, that is good, and that is healthy, and that is necessary for us. Like right on the heels of creating man, right? At the end of chapter one, God creates a day of rest. And so it's good. It's good for us to examine ourselves. In this crazy, busy, hurried, nonstop society that we live in to examine ourselves as Christians and see if we are making a time of rest as God rested. Right? A time of actually stopping the work, a day to cease from our labors. Right? Like you already worked six days. Stop. Take the time to rest. Take the time to take God in. Friends, for some of you, you have so overscheduled your life from work to play to responsibilities to activities that you have little to no time to truly rest in the Lord. Right When Sunday comes, it's, it's not a matter of you committing to stopping and ceasing for your good. It's, it's a matter in that moment to just kind of choose, well, what's more valuable to me in this moment? Should I take this Sunday to truly appreciate the glory of God and intentionally rest in him and say no to the normal pressures that I have sown into the fabric of my life? Or should I start pulling out some threads? Should I start making some margin in my life for truly resting in the Lord? Right, for some of you, waking up Sunday morning, you have the mindset, I'm never gonna miss church, right? I can't wait to spend the day with God and with his people. I love it. But, but some, quite honestly, it's a 50-50 kind of a thing. Right? Good intentions, but little follow-through. Right? Although I discipline myself to be at work those five or six days during the week without question, when it comes to Sunday, it's kind of like, well, I'm going to see how we're feeling. Or we just kind of let anything derail the plan of getting to the gathering of the saints. Or there's better things to do. Or you just have so much to do. How can I stop and rest? Rest is for the weak. I've got so much to do. To which God says, six days you shall work. And do all your work. Like, I created it all in six days. Surely you can set aside one day for your good and my glory. Some of us need to hear that. Now, for some others, rest may be a different problem. Maybe rest is being practiced as just the crawling under the blankets, right? Covering yourself up for the day, right? Grabbing the social media, grabbing the, the Netflix, like, for a whole day or two, Right, sleeping all the day. Maybe even some of us, maybe for some of us, there's, there's too much resting going on during the week. That rest on the, on, the, on the weekend doesn't happen because you've got to catch up. 
that we look to Sundays to get caught up on the work, we need to ask ourselves, is the rest that we often run to today the best rest that God wants for us? Or is there just such great infinite wisdom in resting how God rested? Right? That refreshing, rejuvenating rest that God has for us. Yes, as we grow tired and weary, God has given us the gift of sleep. But as we see God taking a day to take in his great cosmic temple that he just created for himself, and then he shares it with us, rest from it as he rested from it. And then secondly, as we move from practical significance here to spiritual significance, as he made it holy, we are to keep it holy. As he made it holy, we keep it holy. In verse 3, it says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He rested and made it holy. So friends, not only is this day of rest just so practically good for us, it's also sacred. It is sanctified. It is consecrated. It is made holy. The word holy here very literally means set apart. As in being set apart from the rest. When it comes to the six days of creation so far, this seventh day stands out as unique and distinct. It is set apart from the rest. And so as it follows that when God calls anything holy, it means that it is set apart for him. Again, as Deuteronomy says that the rest is about refreshment, it doesn't just stop here with the horizontal, right? It has to stop with the vertical. Deuteronomy 5.14, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, right? It's for us, but it's to God, right? That's horizontal that goes vertical. Friends, it's, it's quite interesting to think that the first thing God calls in his Bible, the first thing that he calls holy is a day. And it's a day of rest. Again, we see a pattern being set forth for us here that as, as he is holy and as his day is holy, his people logically are to keep that day holy as well. We see this in the law of Moses that he receives from the Lord on Sinai. In the fourth commandment, after God gives the first three laws, right, condemning the worship of other gods, making images of other gods, taking his name in vain, the next holy command he gives is regarding the Sabbath day, the seventh day. He says in Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it Holy. Again, this is tied right back to creation. This day being set apart for him. Friends, this resting of God on the seventh day is about worship. It's about worship. Again, as he finishes his universe as this great cosmic temple of his glory, and now that it is complete, and now that he has placed man inside of it, and he stamps his image upon it, he then creates a day for adoration, a day for appreciation, a day of beholding his glory in holiness. Again, as the Israelites with Moses are about to go into a land full of pagan rituals and celebrations and festivals, all based on lunar calendars and constellations and seasons, what's really unique here with, with the true God, the creator, is that he doesn't tie the rhythm of his worship to any of those things. It's not tied to the moon or the sun. It's not tied to the position of the stars. 
as so many of the mythical religions were at that time. No, he sets his worship within the rhythm of his creation days. And then he passes that down to man as a pattern of life to worship and to follow. Six days you shall work as I did, one day to be set apart as holy. And so as Moses is relaying this command later to the Lord's people, it becomes law. It becomes the law of God. That the seventh day becomes Sabbath, a day to cease from work, a day that is set apart for worship, and it is a day of holiness. Exodus 31, 12 to 14, the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. And then he goes on to share some dire consequences for not keeping it. But the point is, friends, it's about holy worship, that God takes worship seriously, so seriously that for his people, he therefore sets aside a day that is devoted for worship. So for the Israelites, the seventh day of rest wasn't merely to be focused on relaxation and entertainment. No, it was to be intentional worship which began at sundown on Friday until Saturday evening. It was a day set apart, not to serve ourselves, not to be busy, but to serve the Lord, to be busy about the Lord's work and his glory. In fact, as the Ten Commandments are also recorded in Deuteronomy, we see in Deuteronomy 5.15 that the keeping the Sabbath as holy is connected to remembering God's faithfulness. Deuteronomy 5.15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. The therefore is to remember the saving power of God. Friends, the worship of God is always about remembering our sinful lost condition in light of a strong redeeming God. To keep the Sabbath day as holy is an ongoing, every week, intentional, setting apart act of remembering our salvation and remembering our saving God. And so friends, as these Israelites were so often so quick and foolish to forget their God and to chase after false gods, this set apart day is a built-in pattern given by God as a sanctified day to remember him because they so easily forget. Now again, as this was Mosaic Old Covenant law, right, the the Mosaic Sabbath law, we know that in the New Covenant this has been perfectly fulfilled in Christ, right? Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes Friends, only Christ is the end of the law, meaning that only he kept it perfectly. He was the perfect Sabbath keeper. In fact, as you trace out the Jewish people throughout the following centuries in and out of the promised land, what you see is a people who are doing everything they can to try and get around that law, specifically the Sabbath law. In fact, history and Jewish writings reveal that the Sabbath law became a problem for them. Such a problem that they ended up writing hundreds and hundreds of other laws to try to get around the Sabbath law. Even to this day, when it comes to uh, Jewish practice of trying to keep Sabbath, they are continually writing laws that help them to get around the Sabbath law. As technology grows, they have to write more laws. From back then, there was laws about shucking corn. Was that work? on the Sabbath? Today it's like, can you ride an escalator? Is that considered work? To even using your printer on the Sabbath and what kind of ink you can use, they're trying to define how can we actually keep on doing these things without breaking the Sabbath law. And they keep on making more and more laws. 
and the sad and detrimental problem that they face is not that they just try to get around the laws, it's that they miss the only one who fulfilled it perfectly. They miss the Messiah that they've been waiting for. This Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus himself testifies to being the Messiah that the Sabbath was pointing towards. The Messiah that in part they killed and rejected. Right, John 1, 10 to 13. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. What about his people? He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, right? Not by following any laws, nor the will of men, but of God. Friends, this seventh day was never meant to be something to try to get around, And it was never meant to be something that they could do perfectly. But it was rather to be something that they would embrace as holy, as God is holy, holy as his son is holy, set apart for worship. As Christians, we understand how Christ has set us free from the law of Moses, now to the law of Christ, to the law of the gospel. We're not to hold to Sabbath laws any longer, right? The Apostle Paul clearly teaches us that. Colossians 2, 16 to 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Even as Jesus himself was accused of breaking Sabbath rules, he responds in Mark 2, 27 to 28. He says the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Friends, we've got to be careful that we don't get this backwards. Because the truth is, is that we couldn't do it. So Christ had to come and do it himself. He accomplished what the law could not do. Romans 8, 2, 4. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Friends, as the seventh day of creation was made holy by God, today we can still honor that day as holy. By keeping it holy, by walking in Christ, by walking in the Spirit, especially when it comes to the holy gathering of the saints every week, every Lord's Day. Although it's no longer a law, the Lord's Day should be honored, friends, as set apart from the rest of the week. Right? I I believe Sunday should look very different for us Christians than how the rest of the world approaches this day. It should be a great priority for us. And that's every Sunday, this unique gathering of the royal priesthood, of the holy nation, of the saints, for the holy worship of our holy God. Yes, every day we should worship, but Sunday is such a unique and distinct day for the gathering of you and me together for the proclamation of God's holy word to the public reading of the holy scripture for times of holy prayer together, holy singing, holy fellowship. Friends, the Lord's Day should look starkly different and unique with respect to any other day of the week. Even though it's no longer a law, the principle of keeping the Sabbath holy is good and it is right. Setting it apart as the greatest day of the week is so fitting for what it truly is. So maybe we need a recalibration. Maybe you here need a a, a refocus. You need to dial it in. Maybe there needs to be an an approach of so much more reverence, so much more respect for the Lord's day. Maybe that's something you need to go home and be praying about in your life. 
and then making plans to commit to. That one of the most primary and obedient ways that you keep this day holy is as Hebrews 10.25 says, to not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. There are some who are habitually present and there are some who are habitually absent. Friends, we are to stir up one another for love and good works. And one of the ways to be most accountable to growing in your own holiness is supported and fostered and evidenced in your faithful participation in the body of Christ every week. If we are to set one day apart as holy, is church then just an option for the day? I'd say ask the Lord. Perhaps it means that you don't pursue activities or sports with your kids or other things that regularly take you away from the body of Christ on Sunday. Or maybe honoring the day as holy is to commit just to be more prepared when you come to worship, to to come prayerful, to come hopeful to come repentant and welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed you. Maybe it just means, practically speaking, preparing for Sunday on how you treat Saturday night. Right? By getting a decent rest. Right? Getting the kids' clothes figured out. Making the plan. Honoring the time of our gathered worship. Right? Let me ask you, what time does church start? 10, 10 a.m., yeah. Right, less the interruption of a train, which we normally see. Right, sometimes, and hear me as a pastor here, right, we would never get up late, and we would never show up for work late. But when it comes to church, it may be just a regular occurrence. So maybe it's having also a meal prepared for Sunday, to be ready to invite someone new or, 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 or somebody that you, you already know and, and, and to have fellowship with them after church on Sunday. Right? Regardless of what it is, we're, we're not going to approach this legalistically like the Jews did or, or, or return to Sabbath observance like some pseudo-Christian groups do. No, no, we approach it with the law of grace, the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that whatever it is, whatever is getting in the way of you keeping the Lord's day holy, may the Holy Spirit just convict and encourage you in that. Friends, God rested on the seventh day, and he made it holy. Shall we, in the grace of the gospel and the freedom we have in Christ, still aim for that same holiness for which God made it to be? Right, One day a week, set apart as holy. Which then brings us to the third significance of this seventh day that we're going to apply, and that is the eternal significance. And we see that through God's blessing of the seventh day. So as he so blessed it, we are forever blessed in it. Eternal significance. God blessed the seventh day. As the Israelites were just saved out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt, the slavery of hard toil under the heavy hand of Pharaoh, right? They were promised that they are going to find rest. And they're going to find that rest in the promised land. And Moses is leading them to that land. And as God blesses the seventh day here, the blessing he gives to this day is the same blessing he gave to the birds and the fish already, right? To be fruitful and multiply. And it's the same blessing he gave to the first people. Be fruitful and multiply. As the Israelites would hear about this day being blessed, they would have also remembered the blessing that they have in Abraham as well, right? The blessing of a land of promise and the blessing of, the, of, of, of being fruitful and being multiplying, this multitude of peoples that would come from Abraham that is evidenced by, by perhaps even millions of them in the wilderness with Moses. As God blessed this one day, within the cycle of the pattern of seven days, this rhythm of life, it was, it was in their obedience 
that they were to keep remembering God. And this was intentional every seventh day. And God promises to bless them. The blessing here speaks of perpetual, ongoing fruitfulness in God. In fact, one thing to notice about the seventh day compared to the other six days is that you don't see the refrain, and there was evening and there was morning the seventh day. You don't see that, right? That's not there. No, as that is absent from the blessed, holy seventh day of rest, it speaks of perpetual, eternal rest. As all of creation is finished, now it is the time for mankind with his God to rest, for God to worship him as creator in his cosmic temple forever and ever. It's a rest that as we study this book is only to be found in the presence of God himself. Rest and peace and unity, right? That's what the first couple, Adam and Eve, had with God in the garden with him. We're going to study this very soon. And it was infinite, eternal, blessed rest and communion with God. Friends, the garden was heaven on earth. But as you know, as we get to chapter 3, our rest in God was destroyed. Right? As we had everything that we could ever need, and even more, as we had peace and sinless communion with God himself, we in our sin destroyed our rest. We believed the words, did God really say? We believe that God was holding out something from us. We wanted more. And so we ate. We sinned. We fell. We rebelled. And therefore, our rest with God was now destroyed. We were cast out of the garden. We were cast out of the personal, intimate rest that we had with God. Now, as hundreds of years later, again, the Israelites themselves find themselves just as rebellious as Adam and Eve, and as they're anticipating their arrival into the promised land of rest in Canaan, the problem that they faced is the problem that we all faced, is that as good and as holy and as merciful as God is even towards them, they still choose to sin and to rebel against God. Right, just remember, as they in the wilderness, they, they craft a golden calf to worship instead of worshiping the only true God. As they continually complain about their food and their water, and they even question and they test God. As we read in Psalm 95, God says, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. As Adam and Eve destroyed their perpetual rest with God, and as the first generation of the Israelites forfeited their perpetual rest in God, friends, this is the dark, condemning truth that we all face. Right? As we all fall short of the glory of God, as we continually sin and rebel against our Creator, the real question is, is what do we do about it? If we find ourselves just as sinful and hopeless as the Israelites, right, God referred to them as stiff-necked donkeys. What do we do about it? What's the answer? If God blessed the seventh day of rest, promising spiritual fruitfulness and communion with him, how do we get out of this mess that we put ourselves in? Because, friends, the reality of not having eternal rest with God means, in fact, that we are to have eternal war with God. We forfeited our rest. We traded it for judgment in our sin. And we deserve the eternal wrath of God moment for moment because of it. So what is the answer? Do we just look at the problem and just choose to look away? Do we just try to live our best lives now and hope for the best? No, of course not. Friends, time here is short, but eternity is forever. 
what do we do about this problem? Do we start just trying to do everything that we can to make it right? Do we try to be as good as we can? Do we just try harder and harder in our strength to try to earn God's favor, hoping that in the end he's just going to outweigh our sin with our good? Are we to be just striving and sweating and, and toiling, trying to live our lives to just try to appease this God? Is that the answer? Is the answer to our lost rest and peace, friends, to just do more, try harder, and hopefully we'll just do enough good to make God happy? No, friends, the Bible says that all of our righteous deeds are a polluted garment in the eyes of God. No, friends, this is where the blessing part comes in. This is the, the blessing of grace that comes in. As Adam and Eve rebelled, God still pursued them. As Israel rebelled, God still pursued them by his grace. In fact, if you remember when Moses interceded for Israel, God responded by relenting of the disaster he was going to bring upon them. And then he says this in Exodus 33, 14. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. This is the outworking of that blessing of grace. This is God giving us what we do not deserve. Friends, Adam and Eve and Israel and us cannot do enough good things to reconcile ourselves back to God. We can't be good enough. We cannot earn favor by our works. And as the writer of Hebrews picks up this teaching of the old covenant and brings it into the new covenant, he says it all comes down to repentance. Right, Just as Psalm 95 did. Hebrews 4, 7 to 11. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Right? Even as much as they were hoping that this promised land was going to bring them rest, the Bible was always pointing forward to a greater eternal rest to come. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And Jesus, Jesus says to us so compassionately, so mercifully and, 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 and gracefully, graciously in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus strived so that we may enter into the rest of God. He worked out our sin upon the cross to purchase our way back. He labored under the infinite weight of God's wrath for, because of our rebellion, because of our sin, so that you and I and all who believe and repent can have eternal blessing, the eternal blessing of rest. Friends, that seventh day perpetual rest that God speaks about, right, with, with no closure on that day, is speaking about eternal rest in the very presence of God forever. And Jesus made that way, the only way for us. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is our eternal Sabbath. And we will once again be with him as it was planned in the very beginning, promised and blessed and planned. Praise the Lord. As he rested from it, we rest from it. As he made it holy, we keep it holy. And as he blessed it, we are blessed in it forever. Let's pray. Our God, we're thankful that your whole word addresses the problem with our sin and the solution of rest. Lord, in our nature, we want to work for our salvation. We want to try harder. We want to do more. We want to, we want to bring what we think we're doing as good and, 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 and hopefully that will outweigh the bad, but that is not the gospel. Father, we are so grateful that Christ came, the Lord of the Sabbath, that he is ultimately our Sabbath rest 
that it is by everything that he did as he condescended, as he lived his perfect life, as he took the nails for us upon the cross, the atonement for our sin, for the forgiveness of our sins, that he made peace with God for us. And then as he rose from the grave and ascended back to the Father, he sat down. He sat down at your right hand. Father, help us to understand what it means to rest in you. And as we just practically and spiritually apply these things, help us to also just work out within our families, within our lives, how we are to honor, how we are to keep this day holy, how we are to truly take the time to rest as you made it for us, to to cause our eyes to be in more awe of you and your glory as we worship you in your cosmic temple, this whole universe. And I pray as, as we as families and, and individual lives continue to gather, that you would continue to grow us in holiness. As you set apart this day, you also set apart your people. And that that would ultimately bring you glory for the days that we have left. And we look forward to the return of the Son to take us home for that eternal rest that you designed from the very beginning. We love you, God. We're thankful for what you have for us here today. Make us more like you, we pray in Christ's name.